Welcome to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson, hosted by attorneys Sean Garner and Adam Hanson. Welcome to another edition of Life, Death, and the Law. We want to get right into it. The question today is humanitarian aid. How much we give to countries around the world, and how much do we give to those who are in our country? Of course, all of us should be charitable. That is one of the most best virtues that humans can have. We want to be charitable not only to our children and to our extended family, but to our neighbors and to all those that we come encounter with. In fact, who is our neighbor? That was the great parable that Christ spoke of um, when he was asked of the two great commandments, to love your God and then to love your neighbor. And the question was then posed, who is your neighbor? And he gave the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Samaritans at that time were hated among the Jews. But he gave that parable to describe that everybody is our neighbor. Anybody that is in need of help is our neighbor. And the Samaritan was an individual who, yet being despised of the Jews, saw somebody of a of Jewish descent, who had been robbed and beaten and left to die on on the roadway, and he assisted him. Not only did he dress his wounds, but he put him on his camel or donkey, I don't remember the transportation, but um, brought him to an inn and paid for him to be cared for and promised the innkeeper that he would pay any additional fee that was required when he returned from his trip. So then that question comes back on us. What should we do as a genuine good human being to provide aid and assistance to our neighbors, number one, individually, and then on a broader perspective from a national and uh, political standpoint, when other people's funds are being used, such as taxes, to provide assistance. So Adam, you've got a little bit of uh, front you know, first-hand knowledge about this because you participate in boards like the Amberley's Place, and I know that you're involved with the food bank. Um, what have you seen recently with, number one, the need for assistance there, and who gets assistance? Are there any type of requirements as far as citizenship or um, members of the Yuma community, or is it anybody that needs help gets it? Those are all good questions. I'm not sure I know the answer to them. I, I sat in a board meeting last week, and we, Sean and I, we discussed this because of um, things that, issues that were brought up there. There's a member of that board of Amberley's Place with me that also serves with the Yuma Community Food Bank, and um, he was expressing how they're at record lows in, in uh, surplus at the food bank, and it's becoming more and more difficult to meet demand at the food bank. And they're discussing uh, reducing the rations that are being handed out. I don't know if they give any any aid to anybody. I don't know if that's how it is or if it's only to United States citizens. I don't know how that works. But I know that there was a comment made that federally, the federal government is proposing. And I think what I understood him to say, and maybe this isn't correct 100%, but what I understood him to say was that these funds or grants that are given to charitable organizations that they seek through um, grant writing processes. These grants are usually tied to some sort of strings. The federal government will give you money in return for you adhering to certain things. And uh, so the word on the street is that the federal government is now going to say, well, you can't 
give out food or aid to just United States citizens. You have to give it out to everybody. And if grant money is relied on to do that, then it might even further restrict or contract the ability for the food bank to meet the needs of our own local community. And uh, most of that has to do with the the migrant crisis at our border that um, this federal government is allowing to just kind of seep through. So there's all sorts of unintended consequences when, when that happened and continues to happen. We, we've already talked about and we know about the security concerns now that Israel's at war with Hamas and Palestine and the onslaught and the, the individuals that are coming across our southern border here in Yuma, particularly in Tucson, is a little bit more porous, but we're, we're seeing more Palestinians, more Iranians, more Syrians, more uh, Russians, more Chinese, and that's cause for worry. Uh, because now we're kind of exposed. It's like leaving the door open to your house all day long and allowing anybody to come in and out. You don't know, they're not vetted. You don't know who these people are. And uh, that's akin to what we're doing now. And so the question becomes, well, how good of, how good of a Samaritan do I need to be? <laughs> Especially when I pay, That's it. I have to pay that's my taxes question. every year or else I go to jail or I get fined or there's severe consequences if I don't pay or file my taxes, and that tax money now goes to this great big pot, and I don't—I lose control at that particular point, and I don't have much—I don't have any control of where that money goes. And so we talk about where does our money go, and being good stewards of that money, we're giving aid to not only our our friends around the world, we're giving money to our enemies as well. With this Iran deal that uh, is in the news, and they and the federal government keeps saying, well, we're. We're watching it like a hawk. They're not going to give it to terrorist organizations. They're not going to use it for unintended consequences. It's like, well, the money's given. You can't really do anything about that. Uh, we're giving aid to Ukrainians. We're giving aid to Palestinians. We're giving aid to Israel. We're giving aid to Iran. Uh, so we're just, you need money? Here it is. We got free money. We can print it all day long and give it to you because we're, united. we're the best country in the world. We're the strongest Army in the in the world, the military, the world has ever seen. That's what the federal government keeps pushing these last couple of weeks, and uh, I'm pretty sure that's what Rome said before it fell. Uh, when you overextend yourself, and and this happened in the Roman Empire as well. How often do you think about the Roman Empire, Sean? A lot. And uh, yeah, so I mean, they extended themselves geographically so far, and now that becomes very difficult, especially when you're putting out all these fires abroad. You can't even take care of your own home. So one of the things that came up in my mind, Sean, as you're talking about being a good uh, Samaritan, were a couple other things that Jesus said as well, which was you need to get your own house in order first. If you don't have your own house in order, you can't help anybody else. You can't be a good Samaritan because you're you're living day to day trying to just live, you know? And that's a broader principle for all of us as far as uh, self-reliance goes. I can't help my neighbor if I can't even help myself in a given day. If I'm living paycheck to paycheck, I don't have any disposable income to help with Amberly's Place and give a donation or to the food bank. I, I have to worry all about myself and just sustaining myself and my family. So we've got to get our own house in order before we start giving aid to everybody else. And, and I think the number that was thrown around in that last meeting that I just referenced last week that I was in was something like every 10 minutes, uh, it's like one point. 
$2 billion of interest is accruing on the debts that we have to other nations. So money that they've loaned us has, has risen to the level of an interest growing every 10 minutes at the rate of about $1.23 million. And uh, that's pretty concerning. I mean, is it, is it realistic to think that we can actually pay that back? I don't know. You know, we are the greatest nation. The federal government says we are the greatest nation and the strongest nation in the history of the world. That's what they keep telling us. So I guess that makes it all right. That makes us pay our bills back. So, you know, more specifically with the food bank, if somebody goes into the food bank, it's my understanding they're not asked for ID. They're not asked for even uh, like a certificate of need from some recognized organization. They're, they're simply given the opportunity to shop for the food that they need. And I, I don't know that I disagree with that. Really, I haven't evaluated it enough to see if it, that uh, program is being taken advantage of. I, I like to see that. I like to think that people that need food would go to the food bank, and um, we are not only charitable enough to not distinguish between how severe is your need, but also as a group, as a population, we're not going to take advantage of that if we don't need it. If we could buy our own groceries, we're not going to go to the food banks, then we can go on a vacation in San Diego on the weekend. Um, But I'm sure that people that work at the food bank and see those statistics on a more regular basis, if there are such statistics, um, would have an opinion on that. So the thing I want to point out with that is with the food bank, it's privately run. It's not a government entity. It's not taking my tax dollars. There are donations made to the food bank from the government, but there's a lot of donations also made privately, specifically farmers. Farmers are extremely um, charitable here in the Yuma community, and they provide a lot of the produce that is available, and um, that helps. So the question becomes then, What about these larger organizations like food stamps? I've heard recently, and maybe, Adam, you can clarify whether or not this is true if you've heard more about it, about um, individuals who are not U.S. citizens, because it used to be that you were required to at least be in the United States legally to get food assistance, if not a U.S. citizen. Do you know anything about that? I don't. I have no idea. You're not very much help there. I'm not. You're asking the wrong person. You got to ask the food bank. How would you feel about that? Are you asking, how do I feel about individuals receiving food stamps as they're formally known? Now I know, I think there's a more diplomatic term to it, but um, food aid that they get a credit card. It looks like a credit card. They can go to the grocery store and essentially buy any food stuff that they need. It's interesting that you asked that. I was at, I was doing some research just this morning, actually. I was looking at this graph of, of the recipients of, of uh, those types of, welfare programs, and the overwhelming amount of individuals that are receiving funds are single-parent single, single uh, parent homes, primarily with women um, in the home, which, that that's good, you know, um, and I was really surprised at the demographics when it's, I looked at this It's good chart. on its surface, but I'll let you finish your thought, and then I want to come back to that. In the sense of, you would hope that these single mothers are getting the aid that they need, that's good about it, but I see where you're going with this. It's not good that we have single mothers. No, no, no. I think that um, in the 1960s, 
there was a very dark underside to the policy of providing single mothers with assistance as opposed to families with assistance. And what that policy either directly resulted in or indirectly had a correlation with was more single-parent households. In fact, single-parent households exploded. During the Johnson administration, the Civil Rights Act was signed, and that's deemed by the left as, as one of the crowning moments of helping minorities achieve equality in rights and treatment in America. And uh, President Johnson, he, he's a notorious racist. He was very racist in the White House. He said racist things all the time. He, he acted racist. Uh, that's well documented. He, as a senator, always voted against um, these acts that would provide equality, that would provide equal justice for minorities, especially blacks. And yet when he got into the White House, he was a champion for these civil rights acts. And you you look at that contradictory, and either he became a saint basically overnight, or something nefarious was baked into those acts, something that um, was going to further his overall objective. And he's rumored to have said that if he provided welfare for individuals who are minorities, who are not receiving fair wages in, in the community, and he could keep them on welfare, then the minority groups would continue to vote for the Democratic Party indefinitely for the next hundred years. And I'm not going to say or repeat even the words that he's, he's accredited to have said, but it's to the tune that these minorities will vote democratically for the next hundred years as long as we can keep them on government assistance. And so when, Adam, you talk about um, single mothers are receiving government assistance, if that's a government policy, what happens is every time the government makes a policy, people, they alter their actions to receive the benefit from that policy. And so if we want more single mothers, then we create a policy that benefits specifically single mothers instead of two-parent households. And we know statistically that if an individual grows up in a two-parent household, he's five times less likely to end up in prison. He's five times more likely to graduate from high school and to obtain a job and to be um, self-sufficient and be a productive citizen. So we don't want to of course, discriminate against single households, but we, at the same time, can't promote that agenda because it hurts everybody. It hurts not only um, them individually by, by seeking that status, but generation after generation, it multiplies and it creates a dependency on a program that really fosters a group of individuals that don't seem to have the ability to pull themselves out of the situation of poverty and, and government assistance. We have to take a break. This is Life, Death, and the Law. Coming up, more thought-provoking conversations on life, death, and the law right after this. Hey, 
Hey, you, my Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit YumaEstatePlanning.com. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back to Life, Death, and the Law. This is Deason, Garner, and Hanson. We're attorneys. We do estate planning. I'm Sean Garner, and I'm in studio here with Adam Hansen and Cody Beeson. We just presented uh, two seminars last week that talked about how people can organize their assets, identify what they own, how they're titled, and then make sure that when they become either incapacitated or they pass away, those assets can be controlled not by the government, not by the default statutes that are put in by the state legislatures, but by the individuals that they trust. We do this by helping them either create a trust or putting together a power of attorney and a valid will to make sure that the assets that they have worked for over a lifetime continue on and their legacy lives on beyond them. Um, But right now we're talking about charity and how charitable should you be to keep those great two great commandments, to love God above all else and to love thy neighbor, And, of course, how do you love God other than serving your neighbor? When you're in the service of your fellow men, you're only in the service of your God. I can't go out and serve God. God doesn't need my service. He doesn't need anything from me. What he wants is me to serve his other children. And so if I'm going to keep the first great commandment, I go out there and I provide service. I'm charitable. I'm productive in the community. I don't sit there and wait for handouts if I'm an able-bodied person able to be productive and contribute. And so the question then becomes, um, with these charitable organizations like Amberley's Place, which is a fantastic organization here in town that helps for um, individuals, battered women and children particularly, but, but both um, men, women, and children that find themselves in um, domestic abuse situations primarily, to go and to seek assistance, number one, to stop the abuse, and to start the process of healing. Adam's on the board and, and um, participates in, in helping that organization run and sees how much good it provides. I've participated in service projects at Ambrose Place where we filled bags of rice and beans and uh, dried milk and other staples. So families that went through the process, when they left, um, they had basics to fill their shelves with food and and the kids could pick out a toy and start this process of healing. I think those those charitable organizations are fantastic. This organization, Amberley's Place, is private. There are a lot of organizations that are not, such as 
food stamps and general government assistance, the welfare program that we have. And there are so many people that are coming across the border. Just in Yuma alone, there's a 1,000 people coming across the border a day. And the question becomes, well, how are they getting food? Because I'm getting reminders in my email probably every third day that the I-9 requirement, and that is the requirement for me to report using the I-9 form who I'm hiring and their status to be able to legally work in the United States is valid to the federal government is in full force and effect. In fact, I don't know why they felt the need to remind me, but during the Maui fires, they sent out several emails saying, even though we have these Maui fires, there is no lifting in the restrictions or the regulations to make sure that the people that work for you are legally here and permitted to work in the United States. And if I don't verify that, then I'm the criminal. I'm the one that's going to be punished. So if somebody comes across the border and I assist them by allowing them to be productive and contribute to our community and to our society by giving them a job, I'm going to be prosecuted. But the person that came across the border illegally will not be prosecuted. So that, that's what I understand. It's, it's a very double standard there. And if I can't give them a job to help feed themselves, to help provide clothing for themselves and their children, to provide housing, how the heck are they going to get those things? So a thousand people are coming across the border a day. How are they getting food? How are they getting housing? How are they getting clothing? Uh, I, Adam, do you have an answer to that question? I, don't, I really don't know. Where is, this, where is this all coming from? I have no idea, you know, I, other than... Well, I mean, isn't it an example that the, the federal government is expanding over by the Border Patrol headquarters? Yeah, well, yes. We, we've, mean, we, we've seen tents go up by the Border yeah. Patrol headquarters. Um, I've heard that it's suitable for about 4,000 people, but I've also heard that anywhere from like 16,000 people at a time are there. I've never been able to tour that facility. I'd love to have that opportunity. I doubt you'll ever have that opportunity. Exactly. I can't go in there and do that. And um, and I know that several times Congress people have come down. In fact, I and Adam, we used our, our private vehicles to, to cart them around Yuma to show what was going on in this border town. And um, when they went and visited these locations, they were empty. We went to the food bank. It was empty. My wife, she volunteers at the food bank frequently. And Thursday is her day to go uh, volunteer at the food bank. And she says, yeah, they're working frantically to meet the needs of the people that come in there. I, I drive by the food bank when I drop my kids off of school and I see a big line of people outside the door. This was more in the during the summer months when it was sweltering hot than it is right now. But um, I saw this great line of people. When we brought the uh, van of Congress people, I think there was 12 Congress people that came altogether. Yeah, I think you're right. 10 to 12. Anyway, we brought them, and, and, and Adam and I just sat in our vans as we dropped them off at the food bank, and, and they came back, and they're like, yeah, that was a very nice organization. It was really well run. And I said, well, how many people did you see in there? Because I don't see anybody in the parking lot, and I don't see anybody going in and out. And they were like, nobody. There was nobody in there. It just it doesn't look like there's a great need. And I'm like, that that is not at all. Something is going on. Somebody is running interference with 
the truth and what actually occurs in Yuma because that food bank has a ton of people going to it on a daily basis. We went to the ER, and same thing happened. They went in, they got a tour of the ER um, at YRMC, and they said, yeah, it looks like a very clean, well-run facility. And I'm not, I'm not trying to say that it's not clean and well-run, but what I am saying is I've been to the ER, and I've sat in that waiting room for six hours um, when my child cut himself or swallowed a battery. Yeah, one of, not, one of my kids swallowed a battery. And... Um, I've sat there forever waiting and waiting and waiting for that to happen. And I know countless people that have done that because as an estate planner, when people get sick and, and um, incapacity becomes an issue, they come right into us after the fact, <clears throat> unfortunately. And um, we hear about these stories that them waiting in the ER. So we asked the congressman when they come out of the ER, how was it? And they said, great clean waiting room was basically empty nobody was there and uh looked very well run and and uh plenty of supplies to assist anybody that comes in and i'm thinking how odd you know that they the day they come mysteriously nobody's being injured and needing the er because typically i'm sitting in there and i watch the border patrol escort people past me and go into the emergency room while I'm sitting in the waiting room with my kid or whoever I'm there with, and I see that frequently and to, to the extent that most of the time now when my children get injured, I contemplate going up to Phoenix because the three-hour drive to Phoenix will probably take less time for me to get in to see a doctor than to go in to the ER and wait in the waiting room. Now, maybe I'm just hitting it at really bad times, but I've got six kids, so I've been in there a few times, and it's always been a long wait, so I don't get what's going on. So what we see on the news is not reality, and and I want to get back to the issue then is how are these people getting the substance that they need, the shelter and the food that they need if uh, if they're not allowed to work and if they're not allowed to earn it for themselves? And, and if they're not citizens or even here legally, how can they get welfare from the welfare programs that we have? I, I understood that you have to be here legally in the United States to receive welfare assistance. Not anymore, I guess. Apparently. I, I would love to understand. So we have the podcast. Please put your comments in the podcast if you know how this assistance is provided. I'd, I'd love to understand more of where all the food and shelter and clothing and, and assistance that is needed for these individuals. Um, as far as people coming to America, I'll tell you what, if I lived across the border, I'd probably be doing the same thing. Um, if there was no way for me to do it legally, if, if the bureaucratic process was so um, jammed up that I couldn't do it legally, then I probably would walk across the river and, and do it illegally, but I would want to contribute to society. I would want to provide for my family, and I certainly would want to teach my kids that they've got to be self-sufficient, that they can't just come in and suck off of the society that uh, we're going over to, that it's not going over to become some generational welfare recipients. That's not at all what I'd want to teach my kids. You and I had a conversation just yesterday about this. We talked about our our biggest fear, our biggest... uh worry is our kids growing up to be good citizens and doing things that 
make them self-sufficient. And uh, I don't think it's a problem, Sean, that uh, you're talking about just because you are an immigrant to this country. It's a That's a worry of all of us, a citizen or non-citizen, is we want our kids to contribute to society. We don't want them to be bums and just you know, take, give me, give me, give me and take, take, take. And, uh, to that end, that's why we, every day you and I meet with families that have issues with, with their kids and worry about the same thing. And so they put together planning through us to keep that child protected from themselves sometimes, sometimes from other people, but most of the time it's from themselves because they make poor decisions over time. And now they're adults and they just continue to make poor decisions. And so that parent is, pretty resorted to the fact that they're going to continue to make bad decisions monetarily or, um, you know, ethically. And so they want to protect whatever they're going to leave and worked, they've worked their whole lives for, and now they're going to leave it to their kids. They want to make sure that that kid doesn't blow it. And, uh, what's the national average, Sean, from the time a person gets their inheritance by the time it's gone? It's less than a year. Yeah. Less than a year. And, uh, most of the time it's, less, um, less than that, you know, you're going to, it's going to be gone months because once a person gets their hands on something that they didn't work hard for studies show that it, it doesn't mean anything to them and it just gets blown. And so that's why we encourage anyone that's listening that hasn't already to take the time to put a plan in order legally that will protect not only you, but your family members that you leave your stuff to so they don't just squander everything that you leave to them. And that's one of the biggest things that we do in our office is help people do that. And it's not rocket science. It's not difficult. It might seem like that at first because you might not be accustomed to the jargon and the vocabulary that we use. But um, we're confident that through a conversation with us, you'll be able to understand the basic concepts enough to put a plan together. If you've already done this and you feel like, oh, man, I need to update my plan, then come and see us. Yeah. Because you know, honestly, we've had people that from, you know, all areas of backgrounds and, and educational um, levels that come to our seminars. And I've rarely heard, and maybe it's just because people are being polite, anybody say, you know what, that was a worthless waste of my time. That, that hour of my life will never get back. I don't hear that. What I hear is, you know what, you put those concepts in a way that was very easy not only to understand, but then to take action. What is the next step that we need to take? And that's what the seminars are all about, is to educate individuals. And we have a wide range of individuals that we're, we're educating. Anybody that, you know, from a single mom who is in her 20s to an individual who's married for the fourth time and, and, and 80 years old now with millions of dollars. That's that's the range of individuals that we are educating about how to put your affairs in order. And we put it in terms that, quite honestly, I understand better than I did when I graduated law school and having passed and taken trusts and estates in law school because it actually talks about how the documents actually work, how they're formed, and what is the concept behind it working, and then how does it work in an everyday basis? How does it work at your local bank? How does it work when you're selling real estate? How does it work with your vehicle? And so when we have people come in after the seminar where they learn the basic concepts of it, and they sit down with us and they see the 
the outline of their plan being drafted on our 45-inch screen and then printed out for them to take home, I, I make it a habit to ask them, how do you feel? If you don't feel better now than when you walked in, if you don't feel more comfortable, if you're not going to sleep better tonight, then we've done something wrong or we're just not the right fit for you. Because our whole purpose is to make you feel like this is not only doable, but it's a, it's a positive turn in your life that's going to make you feel comfortable with how things are going to be cared for when you can't care for yourself or others um, during incapacity and death. We've got to take a break. This is Life, Death, and the Law. Coming up, more thought-provoking conversations on life, death, and the law right after this. Hey, you, my Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back to Life, Death, and the Law. We're talking about charity. We're talking about humanitarian assistance. We're talking about who is your neighbor, and being a good Samaritan. And we talked earlier on in the show about private organizations like Amberley's Place that provide shelter and not only law enforcement, but the healing process for um, people that are battered in domestic abuse and, and domestic violence situations. We're talking about the food bank that people can go and get nutrition. They can get the food that they need and subsist on a daily basis without any type of scrutiny. You don't need to show an ID. You don't need to demonstrate that you're here in the country legally. And I think that's fine. I think that's good. Not just fine. It's great. Um, In fact, my wife participates regularly on going to the food bank and, and volunteering there. And I've volunteered for service projects at Amberley's Place as well. The question that I have is, these places are so small compared to the thousand immigrants that come across just in Yuma County alone every single day. And I don't see those immigrants walking on the streets um, homeless. I don't see them sleeping in tents. It's nothing like what I see over in L.A. and in San Francisco where there's these huge tent cities. But yet we're the border town. So where are all of the immigrants going? I know that I get email reminders from the government that I can't employ them. So... Who and how are they getting aid? And my position on it is if we can, it's got to be that the government is providing them shelter and food and clothing until they can have their hearing, which I think 2% show up 
at to determine whether or not their status for asylum is going to be granted and, uh, and then deported if they're not granted asylum. And I don't, as a taxpayer, want to be coerced for, to fund a policy that allows people to come over into the country and live off of welfare and then continue to raise a generation that depends on welfare indefinitely. That's what I do not want to have. I want to be charitable on an, an individual basis, but as a national policy, I want it to be something that provides an incentive for people to work and legal for me, employers out there, to provide work for individuals that come over and want to be productive citizens. Adam, what's your take on it? I agree with you. I, I My biggest concern is that we continue to fill the coffers of the federal government, and this money just pours out to things that we can't control. And my, my biggest beef is that we don't have a controlled budget on the federal level. So our money, our tax money, is just going into this big pot and being, as soon as it goes in, it goes right out. And we're still borrowing from other nations that really hate us. Why would we do that? I don't understand. I, I would hope that we would practice uh, principles of self-reliance here back at home, such as being oil-dependent or energy-dependent, energy as we were prior to 2020. Um, so we're not now we're in a hard space, uh, hard spot. Not only are we strapped for food, which is going to be even more difficult, especially when um, our adversaries are constricting our seed production and our seed supplies. So our food that we grow is going to become more difficult to grow or even impossible to grow. And what I don't, now I'm on a tangent because I'm thinking about these seeds. And Sean, you probably know more than I do about this. My understanding is if I were to go and buy like a, a typical farmer here in Yuma, they go and buy seed from Monsanto or wherever they buy that from, though they've been genetically altered in such a way that they will not reproduce. So you might have one good crop from that seed of growing wheat but I can't just take those tears of wheat once they get to a certain growth point and, and shuck those to get the, the seeds out. Those seeds won't grow, is my understanding. And so they've been, all of our seeds are genetically altered in such a way that they won't continue to produce. And that makes me concerned. What if we come to a food crisis here in the United States where we're now we're relying on these seeds from these big companies and even our adversaries that are selling them to us? but they won't reproduce. They don't continue to give. Do you don't know anything? Why are you smiling like that? Well, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly in one aspect that you are going on a tangent. <laughs> We're talking about people providing charity to those in need and, and how are illegal immigrants receiving substance um, when it's not being provided on a volunteer or a private level, but you're talking about genetically altered seeds. I am because going <laughs> all, back to my original statement when we first talked, when you brought this up, my first thing comes back to if I can't take care of myself, I can't give or take care of anybody else. Uh huh. And we're at the point where we can't take care of ourselves. So why are we taking care of everybody else? So charity is yep. all fine and dandy. But if I give, give, give to my detriment, yeah. then yeah. now I need from back. I need it back. <laughs> no, I agree. Absolutely. 100%. And here, here's, here's the thing. You, you can easily break it down and say, what can the government do? If it's a government of the people, by the people, for the people, then the government can only do what the people can do, legally do. So 
if the government passes a program that says we want to provide charitable donations or charitable structures for individuals in need to help them survive during that period of need, then let's go ahead and do that. But let's make it transparent and let's make it transitory where it's not something that they live off of indefinitely, generation after generation. Not only is it not transparent, but the need or rather the the provisions that are given out to individuals on welfare provide such a, a standard of living that is no incentive for them to stop the welfare program. It's a standard of living that is statistically 10 times better than most of the undeveloped world. Why would we put people on welfare programs that is 10 times better than individuals that are scraping by if we're doing it for humanitarian purposes? Now, this is we want to take care of our citizens first, but taking care of our citizens, everybody knows you don't take care of your kids by giving them everything they want and not m- making them work for it, earn it, and then appreciate it. But we're doing this to our citizens, which is crippling us as a nation because we're creating a nation of welfare-dependent individuals that are not contributing to society. And then beyond that, we're, we're opening the borders to do the same thing to the rest of the world's immigrants And that is compounding the problem exponentially. That's all the time that we have for today. This is Life, Death, and the Law. We'll talk to you next week. If you have questions or want to know more about something that was discussed today, please call the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson at 928-783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. Hey, Yuma, Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com.